Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 183, Top 10 Children's Games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, how are you? And especially because of this episode, how are your children doing these days? I'm doing great, and my kids are doing even better, and then I'm going to be doing even better because they go back to school next week. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that's how it works, right? I always wondered about that, you know, when parents kind of getting relieved that the kids are going back to school, the, the kids are just dreading every day that summer passes. Yeah, it's a funny thing, though, because, and I remember this from when I was a kid, around week eight or nine of summer... Maybe you don't want to go back to school, but you're super bored. So, like, True. my daughter is very excited to go back and see her friends. My son is not excited to go to school at all, but he clearly can't be home anymore. So we're at that point. We've kind of run through all the games that we can possibly play, even the Gen Con and Origin stash. It's fun. It's fun to get to play. You know, I bring home games in the summer and we play them immediately, which is not something we get to do during the rest of the year. It's to wait for the weekends or whenever we have time. But... I think we're all we're all ready to, to move on. <laughs> gotcha. So with your children and with their friends on the block, are are they at the age yet where you're the coolest down the block because they have all the games? Uh yeah, I mean, more so on the video game side, but okay. like when they're over for long enough, the board games really sink in. They're like, Wow, these are some really cool games. But when you come in and you see the Nintendo and all the stuff for that, that's that's you know, that's the that's the shiny thing <laughs> on the shelf. That's true. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's fun. I, get, I like getting to share these things. I've had other parents, you know, ask me where to get certain games. Like, my daughter keeps asking about this dragon game with the crystals. And I'm like, oh, it's probably this one. Or maybe this one. Or maybe this one. We have a lot of dragon games with crystals. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to share that with people. Yeah, there's a lot of gamification and education, not just with the little children, but with the older children and obviously with people in higher education so games are getting out there and more and more like super cool themes are getting to board gaming so it's not just kind of like very unique ips it's like stuff that you kind of grew up with and are getting to your table all the time because it's just something that everyone's been talking about and we've talked about some of those at gen con some of the new stuff that's recently come out but for this episode our feature review is top 10 children's games so we're going to talk about those great games for your kids, for your school, for any type of small person who likes to play games, and not surprisingly, if you're into board games, for a lot of our us adults out there, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I put this list together, um, and I tried to have at least half of them be games that I actually enjoy playing. And I actually enjoy all these games, but like specifically, this is a fun game that I would play with my friends. Um, so there's a good chunk of those on here. Yeah, when I first got into uh, child development at school, maybe part of the reason was you get to play with really cool toys and games, just saying. <laughs> I mean, sure, it's a doctorate degree, but it's just being able to play with really cool toys. So we will talk about that a little bit later. We want to talk about stuff that everyone else is talking about, especially our listeners. So, Anthony, they're listening up right now. 
What's our question of the week? Alrighty, so our question of the week this week is, and uh, this one actually comes from a listener who recommended this one specifically to me over Facebook, um, Rodney, asked, what game do you love, but the more you play, the worse you do? Uh, his example was Feudum. He's had a chance to play that a few times. His first game, he scored over 100 points. And every game since then, it has gone down <laughs> a little bit more. So we have a few people in here through some uh, games at us. Andrew mentioned Great Western Trail. Same situation. It started off on a high score and has kind of dropped down over time. Cosmic Encounter. But in that case, he says it's because he's played it more and nobody trusts him. Um, which I think makes sense. Uh, George tells a sad anecdote of coming in last place in a 1,000-person Grand Prix for Magic the Gathering. Ouch! I'm sorry, George. That's harsh. Kai asks, does Mario Kart count? And I say yes, because I have the same problem with that game. (laughs) I have a 7-year-old who's beating me repeatedly at that at this point. Tommy mentions nothing personal. Uh, Last time I played, both my opponents scored in the 80s, and I was in single-digit territory. Ouch. Lots and lots of games here. And I I think this is a great question because there are some games that have this effect where maybe it clicks the first time or maybe you get lucky once or twice. And then once you go in and actually try to win, it just kind of falls down. I have the same, like any fighting game, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, whatever, (laughs) this is how I end up playing is I'll go in and I'll just smash the buttons, do great. And then when I'm actually learning the moves and getting better... I'm much worse at it. You know, typically you play board games with your local groups and you kind of get used to this certain skill level. And then you go online and you're like, oh, there's universes beyond the people I play with. And they're all really, really good. So playing these games online, especially Seven Wonders is a game I love a lot. Always want to get that game to the table and played a bunch online and just like, how? What? I'm... I, I, I thought I built all the things and you see the final score and you're like at the bottom or near the bottom and you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I did the things. I, I, I did all of the things <laughs> and it still didn't work out. So that's probably the biggest wake up call. I still love the game. I still play it all the time, but there are some excellent players out there. But nonetheless, it has not dissuaded me from getting that game back out to the tablet. Yeah, yeah. I have a similar thing with pretty much any area control game where if i'm just going in and randomly trying to do stuff i'm like great i did okay you know blood rage rising sun any of these games but once i'm specifically trying to meet certain objectives and goals that's when people just stomp all over me i think i'm not aggressive enough is the problem (laughs) just by nature (laughs) all right anthony so that's what's going on with our listeners now if you haven't gotten a chance to jump on yet don't forget all of our social media out there we're always listening to what you have to say about board gaming and getting your information and your games to the table so let us know on facebook twitter boardgamersanonymous.com we're also on youtube and don't forget you're finding this podcast itself not just on youtube but also on itunes and stitcher and pretty much every different podcast system out there if we're not on one of those that you would like to hear us at Please let us know so we can jump on that as well. All right, Anthony, everyone's going to jump on our social media. It's going to explode this week. So let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So what do you want to hit the table coming up? Okay, so I recently pre-ordered a game from Phil Eklund and Sierra Madre Games called Pax Emancipation. That's not my acquisition disorder this week because I think I talked about it a few months ago, um, and it's coming relatively soon. But I'll allow it. 
all out. <laughs> <laughs> but related to that, there's a new game in the PAX series, PAX Transhumanity, that was just announced and is actually designed by Phil's son, Matt, Matt Eklund. So the PAX series is PAX Premier, PAX Porphyriana, PAX Renaissance, and then now PAX Emancipation, which is coming soon, are these big, heavy games that kind of deal with these different points in history. And Transhumanity is different in that it's looking not at the past, but at the future. And instead of kind of the darker, somber tones of the Renaissance or, you know, different past times when everything's been a little bit harder, um, we have the bright, colorful future of humanity and the potential loss of ourselves as we become incorporated into the machines that we build. <laughs> because, of course, it's a PAX game. It is a worker placement game heavily economic like any of these Eklund games and it is um, science fiction based instead of historical so don't know a whole lot about it yet because it just went up on BGG relatively recently but digging into it a little bit looking at the artwork which is very bright white background on the cards instead of black um, this futuristic full illustration artwork very interested in this if it has the same level and pedigree of the other games in this series I'm 100% on board these are some of my favorite like games that no one will play with me because they're a little bit too heavy. Uh, Pax Renaissance is one of my favorite examples because it comes in this little card box. It looks like, you know, it should be a party game. I mean, it doesn't look like a party game, but the size of the box does. And the weight on this thing, if you look at BGG, is somewhere in the 4.5 range, 4.3 range. So it's one of the heavier games I own. And I love it. It's hard to get out. I've, I've melted a few brains with it, and I'm hoping PAX Transhumanities kind of along the same lines. So that's the one I'm looking forward to this week. Excellent. All right, well, two things I'm looking forward to. One is way, way, way far out, is an announcement by Gale Force 9 Games, and that is Frank Herbert's Dune. Now, I kind of got first introduced to Dune by the movie, which was kind of super epic and super kind of twisted, but all about this really wonderful sci-fi universe that is in book form and probably best in book form, and it's had some TV series. Well, they're going to be bringing that back out into the movies. So Gale Force 9 is partnering with them and is going to be doing a number of tabletop games in late 2019. So there's going to be a full range of tabletop games, including board and miniatures games, based upon the theatrical movie release in 2020 so really looking forward to that gale force 9 already does star trek ascendancy they do doctor who uh, they do a number of different kind of like big sci-fi universe games so this is kind of like totally in their wheelhouse i would really love to see kind of a big version here and you know as always the spice must flow all right this is really cool like the Dune book series is among my favorites, with the exception of a single board game that's been out of print for decades. Yes. I don't think anything's really done much with this IP in a really good way. The movie was fine. The TV show was not good. Excited for the new releases in entertainment, but also really excited for these new games. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big David Lynch fan and Kyle McLaughlin, you know, especially from Twin Peaks. And I did like the Dune movie for the kind of hardcore sci-fi, somewhat cheesiness back in the 80s. But nonetheless... Still excellent film, excellent series, and this really would make a great kind of universal 4X type of game. Absolutely. Now, now the game itself that I want to talk about that will be coming out soon was a recent announcement by Fantasy Flight Games, and this is called Discover Lands Unknown. Now, what's really interesting about this game 
is it's yet again another of the one of these algorithms putting together a unique game experience for each and every gamer. So every game that comes out, completely unique. You're going to have a, I guess, a slightly different game experience. It seems they're relatively in the in the same kind of area of, of what the, you're going to expect, which is basically you and whoever's playing with you at the table wake up with a splitting headache. You don't know where you are. The wilderness stretches for miles. You are trying to figure out how to survive and what's actually out there. So it's a very interesting game because it's going to be one of those kind of like exploration games. You don't know what you're going to be flipping over. You're not you're not sure what's in those little boxes. And because nobody else has the same identical box, you can't even check with someone else and say, hey, what, what can I expect? You know, is it dangerous out there? Should I not open this up? Should I not dig here? But the storyline's different. The components are different. The characters are different. The tokens are different. So this hopefully will be a very different type of experience for all the gamers out there. What do you say, Anthony? I don't know. I like, here's the thing. Like, you have this, you'll have Keyforge, this whole idea of like an algorithm writing games for us. And Keyforge is a little less of that because the sets have been designed and then they're giving parameters to the algorithm to say like, these are the kinds of cards that can go together. This game obviously has a rule set. It's been designed. There's a lot here to it. And it's got good pedigree in terms of the designers. It's just when you have a computer program telling you what to put in the box and what the content's going to be, like it comes dangerously close for me to that whole idea of like robots writing stories and just replacing human creativity to a certain degree. That doesn't mean that's necessarily what this is. It's just I feel like we're moving down that path a little bit where we're kind of automating to some degree or trying to create a unique experience and then there's you know the cynical part of it too is it's a good way to make multiple people in the same game group buy the same game because then they all have their own unique take on it i don't know i don't know what to think yet i want to see it before i uh, think about it but I'm, I'm pretty hesitant on this idea right now well speaking on behalf of my yeti mic uh the skype connection we're using my pc <laughs> and audacity software and everything else i for one welcome our uh mechanical overlords but now i understand what you're saying you know uh, what's especially great about this industry is it's a designer industry these are true artisans that are crafting these games and it, it can lose a lot i mean even what was attempted with 504 that there would be 504 unique game experiences and you just had to flip a book and there you go it's, it's challenging because the greatness of this hobby, I would say more times than not, is the game that we're playing is a very cultivated, esoteric type of experience that you are having. I, for one, even though I'm a completionist and want to have every promo and every expansion set that's out there, I really want to play the best game possible, or let me put it better, the best version of a game possible. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely kind of questioning this, but I think at, at the very least, this and Keyforge could bring something different to the industry that might bring people in. I'm certainly going to play both of them. I want to see how it works, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the fence. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our acquisition disorders. Let's get on to our At the Tables for this week. So what has been hitting your table this week? All right, so we are talking about children's games this week, so I figured I would talk about four of the newest children's games that have entered my home this summer uh, and that I've had a chance to play with my kids. 
So I have four games. They are kids' games, so the rules are relatively simple. So we're going to kind of breeze through these relatively quickly. And just I'm going to summarize how it plays, how I play with my kids, whether or not they like it, and then whether or not I like it <laughs> you know, as a game I end up having to play with them many, many, many times. And a couple of these are Kinderspiel nominees. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at that list of games, and I think the third one, uh, Emojito, is not out in the U.S. yet. So Dragon's Breath and Shaky Manor are. And uh, you can d decide if you're interested in picking these up for your kids. So game one on the list is Dragon's Breath. This is the winner of the Kinderspiel this year. This is from Haba, um, the juggernaut of children's games with the yellow boxes. And in this game, you have a stack of rings in the middle of a board filled with little plastic crystals of five different colors. And you're going to take turns every round picking uh, two of the different colored crystals if you're playing one-on-one -on -one with your child or just one if you're playing with three or more players. And you are then going to lift one of the rings off, see what falls down, and then whatever color you picked if those things fall down and they don't fall through the little holes that are around the middle of the board, you put them on your side. You do that all the way through. I think there's nine or 11 rings, some odd number up there, and then see who has the most crystals. Very, very simple. You can even play it where you just pick some crystals at the start of the game and those are the ones you run with through the whole game. That's what I do with my three-year-old who doesn't quite understand how to predict what's gonna fall quite yet. She's getting it, but not quite. Um, the the game is very simple, very quick, takes about, should take five or ten minutes, but it can take a little bit longer if the kids are playing with the rings. And everything's very cute. There's little cardboard dragons you shove in there. The box itself closes up, and then you have to open it up and pull things out to see how many crystals fell in. Uh, it, it's a pretty cool little structure, and my daughter absolutely loves it. It is, I think, her favorite game I've brought home to date. Um, she's three and a half going on four, so just to give you some context of her age. Her older brother, who is seven, seven and a half, not quite as enamored with the game. Uh, he, he does like it, but not as much as she does. So it's definitely on the younger end, I think, in terms of complexity. But it's definitely a solid game. I think it's deserving of the Kinderspiel. It scales really well, like any good hobby game. So definitely worth checking out. This one's a buy, especially if you got the younger kids in the, you know, the four to six range. Uh, the next one on the list is Shaky Manor. So Shaky Manor is from Blue Orange Games. This was also nominated for the Kinderspiel. And this is exactly what it sounds like. You have little boxes with eight rooms in them, and they are separated by these cardboard pieces. And you will be shaking and moving and twisting and jumping with it and trying to move all these little wood bits, meeples, ghosts, eyeballs, spiders, snakes, treasure chests, and trying to get them into certain rooms. So there's two ways to play the game. There's the easy mode, in which case you just put one meeple, one ghost, and three treasure chests into your box, and you try to get the meeple and the treasure chests into a specific square by moving things around, without the ghost, of course. Or there's the slightly harder mode in which you flip a card, it has some of those pictures on it, so it might have a snake, a couple treasure chests, um, a meeple, and maybe a ghost. And you have to get all those things into a specific room based on the cards you drew. I think the on the lower end, very accessible for younger children. My son can do this no problem, you know, the seven-year-old. On the higher end, it does get relatively complicated. It's hard to kind of maneuver and shake these things through. Uh, I find myself not quite beating him when I'm actually trying, 
uh, if I'm not trying, then, you know, he's definitely going to win. So it is definitely a good game if you're looking for something where you don't have to severely handicap yourself to give your children a chance. And it's solid if you have older children, too, who might be playing along. So anything dexterity-wise, I think it's going to be good in that way. Very charming look and feel. Has four of these little boxes. Comes on the shelf very nicely with these little plastic see-through sheets so you can see what's in the box. The meeples are great. <laughs> Even the little eyeball meeples, which I don't think I've seen before. It's definitely a solid game. I think this would have been a good pick for the Kinderspiel as well. Uh, definitely a fan of this in this house. So this one is also a buy. Ice Cool 2 is the third one on the list here. And this is the sequel to a Kinderspiel nominee and winner from a couple years ago. So lots of good pedigree here. Original Ice Cool was fairly simple. You had a, a stack of nesting boxes that you took apart and then you snipped them together and then it created this big ice school. So it was like a, a high school for penguins. And then you take your little penguin meeples, which were basically weevil wobbles. You'd flick them around. They would spin through the doors and you tried to capture fish. And there would always be one person who was chasing everybody and they were trying to hit the other people. There was a hall monitor to, to stop them. Um, every time you got your fish, you got some cards. Every time you captured people, you got some cards. End of the game, you looked at your cards, added up the fish, see who wins. Ice Cool 2 is the same, but it adds a few things. It adds special ability cards. If you have two fish cards with value 1 on them, you can flip those over to take an extra turn. Ability with or with 2 value, um, flip two of those over, and you can move someone's fish around and try to make it harder for them to get, or make it easier for yourself to get. Uh, and then there's also task cards that will have specific things on them to do, like jump over the wall and into another room or um, pass through two doors at once with one flick. So like little challenges you can do to make the game a little bit harder. And I really, really like this because it turns a basic game that my kids can play, and do enjoy quite a bit, and makes it even more accessible and fun for adults. And this was already a game that I had fun playing anyways and would be happy to bring out for adults to play. And just adds another level when you're scaling it out. So I really like that. The other thing that the expansion does is it makes it possible to combine it with the original and create a mega version of the game. So you have both sets of boxes. So now you can play with up to eight players. And when you do that, you have two people trying to catch everybody. Or you can split into teams and do a race where you're trying to complete um, get those fish all at the same time. It's kind of like a relay almost with two to eight players playing in two different teams. I love variety now. The original game was you play this way, you capture each other, you take turns, the game is over in about 15 minutes, the end. If you're bad at it, you're bad at it, so too bad. Um, I like the, you know, you can scale it up now, you can change it, make it into a race, you can be on teams, you can have multiple people trying to catch people, you can have this massive sprawling thing that takes up your entire dining room table and the kids are standing on chairs trying to flick things while you hold them up it's really cool i i don't know how often i'll combine these and pull them both out but i do like the idea of having all this extra stuff in the box uh i do have both of them and i will keep both of them so uh and it's probably a game that will stick around even as the kids age so this one's definitely worth picking up as well all right and then one last game this is from Robinsberger Games. It is called Woodlands, and it is a game of memory and route planning, and it's a little bit of timer element in here. The basic idea is you have four different stories, um, and they basically equate to easy, medium, 
medium, slightly harder, medium, and then hard. And what you do is you're going to have different sheets that you put out in the middle of the table. On those sheets is going to be different treasures. There's going to be an exit. There's going to be a starting point for your character. And then maybe negative things that cause negative points throughout as you're trying to move around. You then have to look at your own place and put cardboard tiles down that equate to what that sheet looks like. It's a clear sheet of plastic with stuff printed on it. And get your character through the different pathways to the exit while picking up all the good stuff. So you're trying to mentally put that plastic sheet over the top of your board and put the tiles down so it matches. Surprisingly, not that surprisingly, I guess, but this game is actually harder for me than it is for my kids. So <laughs> there's something about the way kids' brains work and just kind of the spatial reasoning and taking that thing and mentally, maybe it's the creativity, uh, the imagination of it. But I have a heck of a time just kind of mentally walking through this vision in my head of where these paths should be, whereas they have a little bit easier of time of it, on easy mode at least. As you level up to the higher levels, there's different quests you're trying to complete. Sometimes you might have to, you know, get your guy to one place, get another guy to another place, make sure these two other guys never see each other, don't touch. Um, that gets pretty hard. Uh, the kids have a rough time with that. And I think it works because on the low end, my seven-year-old has no problem jumping in and doing this on easy mode. On the higher end, I see this being a game we could play, you know, in three, four years when they're a little bit older. I don't know how much longevity and replayability it has because it only has so many chapters and so many sheets and eventually you'll do them all. Um, I'm not saying you'll memorize them, but eventually you'll do them all. Um, but at the same time, I really like the idea of it. Uh, it does have a timer element in there. The first person to complete their tableau will flip a timer and everybody else has a little bit of time left to finish. So think like a galaxy trucker type of situation. But you're only putting nine tiles out. So as long as you're not completely frozen up, it's not too bad. Uh, I like this one. It's a strong play. I don't know how well it scales up to the higher levels yet just because my kids are young and I haven't played this with you know my gamer group yet to see how adults <laughs> handle it. But at the lower levels, it's fun. It's playable. Uh, I think the kids weren't quite as excited about this one just because it's a little bit tougher. The box does say 10 and up. So to be fair, you know, this might be a game where older kids are better suited for it. But it is definitely an interesting one worth checking out if, if you're interested in kind of that story mode. There are stories printed in the, in the rule book as well that you can kind of read through. So lots of good content there. And I think it would last a good amount of time, especially if, you know, they add more stuff in the future. So that is Woodlands, the fourth of the uh, of the group of kids games we've been playing lately. All right, so now for our feature review, we are talking about the top 10 children's games. As Anthony and I mentioned earlier, children's games are not just for children, but for a lot of times for adults that are looking to kind of wind down the night or looking to kind of interact in kind of a fun kid kind of way. Now, children's games are not just social games as far as just playing and enjoying the time. It is there for that too. But these games are also beneficial in, in such a high number of ways. Children, especially young children, are still in their very critical period of education and growth. So they're dealing with issues of dexterity and cognitive development. And sitting down and playing games with children engages them in a very kind of low anxiety type of way so they can have fun make social bonds and engagements both with parents and for and for siblings and for their friends in a kind of fun, good way 
that really kind of nurtures their development so they can learn, they can grow, they can play, they can bond. There are just so many different things about children's games that can really benefit children, whether it's your own personal children or in a educational or, or kind of after-school environment. So these 10 games will do a lot of great things. And I know Anthony has actually got these games with his children, so he could say a lot more about how great these games happen to be. Yeah, absolutely. I own almost all of these. So... <laughs> First-hand experience. Yeah, so we're going to start with number 10, and this is a game that we picked up when my son was three years old, and he's been playing it until very recently. So it's on the lower end for for kids, but uh, I, I know some older kids that come over, some of his friends, they really enjoy it as well. So I think it does scale pretty well at lots of levels, and that's I Found It. Specifically the Busy Town version, but there are other versions of this game that use the I Found It system. Um, it is not... It is essentially just a roll and move, spin and move game. You are not doing anything particularly complicated. But what makes the game different and unique is that there is an option as you spin or roll, uh, depending on the version you're playing, to search. And what you'll do is you'll flip a card over and it will allow you to search on this giant map. In the Busy Town version, it's like a five or six foot map. Uh, for the thing on there. So it might be fire hydrants, and you're trying to find the fire hydrants. You take the little magnifying glasses, you look for the fire hydrants. However many you find, that's how many spaces you get to move. So it's kind of this race, and you're trying to learn how to recognize different things, and you're moving up and down the map. And even if you've played it like a couple dozen times, which we easily have at this point, they're not always easy to find. Some are hidden, sometimes they're small, sometimes you forget where they are. Kids love it. It doesn't take very long. It has even a cooperative element at the end of the game where you're kind of working together to get to the end before the pigs eat all the food. Great game and really good for the young ones and older ones alike. The next one on the list, number nine, is Monza. This is a hobby game uh, from back in 2000, and it's a car racing game. So you're going to be rolling multiple dice in your turn and then moving car according to the colors shown on the dice. So all the dice are the same. They each have all six colors, one on each side. And then there is a board with three different lanes. You have cars that match each of the colors, and then you move them accordingly. Uh, it is a you're trying to determine how to use your dice, where to move to block other people, kind of manipulating the board a little bit. So everything you think of in like a racing game, but scaled down into a game that's good for like five years old, four year olds can play this. It's really solid. There's even smaller, more accessible versions of this game where you keep like the ver the car that you're running hidden and you're trying to get your two cars to the end. I really enjoy this one. The kids really enjoy this one. It comes out quite a bit. Uh, number eight on the list is the Magic Labyrinth. Uh, the Magic Labyrinth is a magnetic game in which you're moving little guys around on this map and you're trying to collect these different items before the master notices anything. So you're trying to beat the game a little bit. The The maze has invisible walls because you're putting a piece of cardboard over the top of it. And so you're trying to remember where things are and move accordingly to get there. Uh, it's very clever. I like the, the memory element. Um, it A lot of memory games turn into more of a chore and just failure after failure, which doesn't really work with small kids. They fail five or six times at the memory element, and then they just don't want to play anymore. So any game that can really throw in the memory and the other mechanics that make a game fun 
at the same time and so the kids don't realize they're playing a memory game that much better and so i think it's a lot of fun for that reason and it scales pretty well for you know all different ages i think as young as four would have a good time with this one the next one on their list at number seven is monopoly gamer and i never thought i would have a monopoly game on any list i put together but here you go we have mario and we have monopoly uh so what monopoly gamer does is it takes all the things that make monopoly take forever and removes them it is still kind of mean but in the context of mario and it the game takes less than an hour, so it doesn't really matter how mean it is. The kids love it, <laughs> and I, I don't mind it, which is really good. The, the basic idea of the game, though, is you are one of the different characters. You move around the board. You will roll these special dice that give you special abilities and allow you to do certain things on your turn, in addition to move a certain number of spaces. You are still picking up different properties that you're going to own and purchase with the coins you pick up, but you have other elements as well. Characters can be hit by shells. They lose coins. You pick them up if you pass them. And every time someone passes go, they're going to fight a boss. And the boss fights are, whether anybody beats them or not, the boss is gone. And as the boss deck runs out, the game ends. So the game only lasts as long as it takes people to pass go a certain number of times. Which, in some cases, can be relatively quick if you're rolling really good dice. The game is quick. The game is relatively fun, I might even say, for a Monopoly game. Uh, and the, the kids really do enjoy it because they get to play as their favorite characters, has all the different things on the board... Um, we have the collector's edition of this, so it's actually a fairly decent production, but they also have a $15, $20 version you can pick up at Target, and even a new version, I think, with Mario Kart instead of just the Mario characters. So if you've always avoided Monopoly, but think your kids might actually enjoy it, this is a version you should probably check out. Next one on the list here at number six is the My First series. So it's not an official series of games necessarily, but you see this in several different iterations. Uh, we have My First Stone Age, which won the Kinderspiel um, in 2016. And it is a very, you know, stripped down version of Stone Age. So teaching kids how to collect goods and build up their settlement. Very simple, you know, set collection, a little bit of memory involved in the game. Um, takes out a lot of the you know heavier worker placement elements of that game and just makes it very accessible for children. We have My First Carcassonne, which is a good introduction to tile placement and area enclosure. You know, the, it it's basically Carcassonne, but smaller, more colorful, bigger, and easier to read. Um, this is another great game that's been nominated for several awards. I think it came out you know back in 20, 2010, 2009, maybe. Um, there are other ones as well out there. My First Bonanza is one that my kids enjoy. Uh, very recently, My Little Scythe was released by Stonemeyer Games, which, while not a My First game, is kind of the same idea, um, taking the core mechanisms of that game and turning it into a kid's game. So uh, these are great because they allow me to play something familiar, the kids to play something that they see on my shelf, and to learn these basic mechanics at, you know, at four, five, six years old, that they will then be able to play in a couple years in the full game, which is cool for all of us. The uh, next one on the list here, and this is where we're getting into games that I actually enjoy. And I enjoy all of these. Like I, I like playing games with my kids and try not to buy anything that I'm just going to have to suffer through. And that, that, you know, that, that sounds bad, but you also, as a parent, you don't want to be doing things just to do them. You want to have fun to enjoy the time you spend with your children. You don't want to feel like, I love spending time with you, but I really don't like this thing you want me to do. So anytime you can kind of 
incorporate something that's a little bit of fun or enjoyable or just interesting and unique and different, it's good. Um, gets you more engaged. And uh, these next five do, I think, the best job of that, at least in my household. Um, the first of them at number five is Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. This is a uh, game from Mattel, of all, of all companies, that it takes the pandemic formula and boils it down to its very basic components. And you are treasure hunters, um, these four children, running into a haunted house, trying to find several different treasures that have been scattered around the house uh, randomly at the beginning of the game. And you'll be drawing cards based on dice rolls and then placing ghosts into the house. And similar to Pandemic, if you get too many ghosts in a space, that ghost becomes a more powerful ghost. And if all the very powerful ghosts come out, you lose the game. So it is cooperative. It is a game you can lose. Although with an adult or two helping, it is pretty difficult to lose this game. The artwork is fantastic. The game is very accessible. It has ghosts and all that, but they're colorful and fun and goofy. They're not scary in any way. Uh, and the pieces are great because there's these little you know, rubbery ghosts. They fit on the kids' fingers so they can run around with the ghosts on their fingers trying to scare each other. Really enjoyable game. There are a couple expansions for this. Um, one tiny promo expansion and one full expansion that just came out that adds another board to it. And I'm very much looking forward to getting a chance to play that. So this is definitely worth checking out if you're looking for a co-op game to introduce to your children to the idea of co-ops. Uh, number four is Ice Cool. And I just spent a little bit of time talking about Ice Cool in this episode, so I won't go into too much depth. But it is quick, easy, uh, looks really cool on the table. It's a dexterity game, but it, the, at the very basic sense, you're flicking one thing. It teaches your kids about certain things like angles and physics. And, you know, if you flick on this side, he'll fling to this side. And if you're trying to get through that door, you need to flick him over here. Uh, I'm astounded watching my three-year-old pick up these basic concepts. I'm looking forward to her being big enough to play a game of pool with me <laughs> um, to, to put some of that spin in play. Uh, number three is Lupin Louie. And we don't actually have the original Lupin Louie. We have Lupin Chewie, which is the Star Wars version that was released a couple years ago. But the idea is the same. You have this central motor, multiple. You have this thing kind of flinging around the edges and then your own little personal paddle and you're trying to keep it away from knocking your pieces down. In the Star Wars version, it is Chewbacca in the Millennium Falcon knocking down stormtroopers. In Lupin Louie, it is a goofy looking guy in a biplane. The major difference here is the original version plays four players. The Star Wars version plays three. I'm not really sure why they did that, but uh, in my family it works. I have two kids, but if you need to play with four, then you want the original. It's quick. It's simple. It's chaotic. Kids have a lot of fun with it. If they lose, there's not too much to be upset about because the game's over in about three minutes. So you can play multiple, multiple games back to back. And adults have a lot of fun with it. I've played a couple of tournaments of this at my local game store because it's small and quick and uh, it, it always a raucous good time. Number two is Rhino Hero and Rhino Hero Super Battle. I've put them both here because I think the original, the classic, comes in that small tuck box. It's still great. My kids still love it. It's easier, I think, for children to hold on to those tinier cards, but they really like the Super Battle because you end up building these ridiculous, crazy structures uh, in 
in Rhino Hero, you start out with one single starting point, and you just kind of go straight up and see how big of a tower you can make. It's going to fall down right around two or three feet, usually. Super Battle, you're using much bigger cards. You have three different foundations, and you have multiple superheroes. So as you're going up, the towers can become quite large. I've seen people use up almost all the cards in the deck, and everybody gets their own superhero to kind of jump around which is really good if you have multiple children. So they're not all fighting over the Rhino, which half the time knocks it over anyways. So if you want a small, easy one, Rhino here is great. If you want a bigger, more epic version, especially for the older kids who can stand up and reach that stuff, Super Battle is amazing. And last but not least, the first Haba game I bought for my kids and the one that still gets played the most and that I play with other adults when they visit the house sometimes is Animal Upon Animal. This game is, just for whatever reason, it's just perfect. Pitch perfect for, you know, two to three years old. My daughter's been playing this as long as she's played anything. And all the way up to, you know, myself, my wife, her cousins. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a good game. You roll dice, you stack animals, you see how high you can get. There are many different versions of this. You get the original version, of course. There's a version with larger pieces for the smaller kids. There are versions with special cards in them. There are, you know, all these different ways you can play this game. But the at the core of it, you have a dexterity game with a little bit of strategy in there based on the dice you roll. And it is fantastic and well worth picking up if you're looking for a first dexterity game for your kids that will scale with them for years to come. So there you have it. Ten children's games that my family loves. All right, so that's everything for this week, but not the end of BGA. Run over to our Patreon account at patreon.com backslash BGA, where there are more BGA episodes right there waiting for you. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the kitty table. <laughs>